Hi, I'm Lisa Morton, founder of Roland Dransfield PR. Welcome to We Built This City. With this podcast, I wanted to shine a light on the people who have put the heart into modern Manchester. You can build a city with bricks and mortar, but it's the people that make Manchester great. People like my guest, Marcy in Carrico. The city is small enough that you can bring together the retail, the hospitality, the football. And I think that's why it's actually quite easy to put on big events in Manchester because the community is just there and they don't take themselves too seriously. Marcy is the owner and director of The Mix Group, which includes an events company and a multimedia magazine for the commercial interiors world. At a time when you might be getting ready to go back into the office, Marcy's had a hand in shaping how your office looks. She's got a background in radio and events, starting off as the promotions and sponsorship manager at Key 103, amongst other radio stations. And 20 years ago, she founded Out There Events, which is the first out of the blocks, creating an industry of industry awards dinners in Manchester. If you've ever worn a black tie or a cocktail dress on a Thursday night, you'll have been to one of her events. Marcy's someone who brings people together. She's a born Italian, but an adopted mank, and she says what she thinks, always. Marcy, welcome to We Built This City. Oh, thank you, Lisa. Delightful to be here. Thank you. It's so great to see you in person. So I never forget when I first met you. You came into our offices at Roland Dransfield, which was then on Portland Street, for a meeting. And it was just a few months after I'd had my daughter in 2001 and just before you set up out their events. And within a couple of minutes of meeting you, I absolutely loved you. because, And that was because... You were absolutely so self-deprecating and funny and so open and down to earth. And you also swore like a trooper mm-hmm. all the way through the meeting. So I thought, she's my kind of person. <laughs> Thank you. And felt the same when I met you. Kindred spirit. I thought I learned to swear from you, Marcy. <laughs> Probably. And we've run our careers kind of quite side by side, haven't we? Like you're 20 and business-wise. Years of age. Yes, exactly. We're not going on that one. And, and Roland Transfield's 25 in the summer. So there's loads for us to talk about and I'm really looking forward to it today. But firstly, you're an adopted mank. And you were born just outside Naples and are a first-generation Italian immigrant. So to start off with today, tell me how a young Italian girl ends up regularly on a train from Flintshire to Manchester <laughs> with a lasagna on her knee. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So I, I grew up in North Wales. My parents moved when I was three. Very long story. Don't have time for this now. But uh, my sister was actually at UMIST and I was 15, 16. My sister had just joined and I was desperate to come and see her. And the conditions were my parents would only let me go if I only stayed one night and behaved myself. And my sister would only accept me here if I came with one of my mum's homemade lasagnas. <laughs> so I was that idiot on the train from Flint to Manchester holding a full lasagna ready to feed my sister's mates <laughs> at uni. But I got my first taste of Manchester, the clubs, the the bars, and I absolutely loved it. And I thought one day this will be my place of my home. So you knew then, did you? I did. But I went sort of via, I went to Birmingham to university. I worked up, I worked in London. I worked up in Newcastle, but I worked for a radio group that also had Key 103 here in Manchester. And it was the biggest station in the group. So you kind of knew when you got to Manchester, you'd reached the pinnacle of your radio career. And the minute I was offered a job here, 
I jumped at it and I knew once I arrived I wouldn't move and and that was 25, 30 years ago. And so that's Piccadilly Radio, Hits Radio. Radio. It's a massive institution, isn't it? Yeah. So we'll talk about that in a minute, but I'm just interested because you sometimes talk about yourself as not being a risk taker because you've got a business that's been very successful and it's morphed into different things, hasn't it, over 20 years and it's been sustained and sustainable. I do think you'd take risks and we'll talk about that shortly. But your parents, let's go back to that. I mean, your parents took a massive risk coming over here. So how was that? I mean, you must have really got something from that surely. Oh, 100% Lisa and I, I look back and they are still my inspiration. You know, when any whatever challenge I face personally, professionally, I sit there and go, but my mum and dad moved here. They couldn't speak English with three kids under the age of uh, seven and have made lives for themselves and made a good life for themselves and made a great life for us. So, and neither of them would class themselves as entrepreneurial or indeed brave and yet now I'm a parent, now I'm an adult, I look back and go, God, that's the bravest thing ever. And they did that 100% for us to make a better life for their kids. I do this to make them proud and to kind of remind them it wasn't wasted. You know, we're now giving back and they've got loads of beautiful grandkids and they're really happy. But yeah, massively brave thing to do. And so what values do you think you learned from them? Humility. I think, you know, we grew up in a household where it was, and I think a lot of of immigrants, regardless of where you're from, probably will relate to this, but it was that kind of don't show off, be respectful, you're still almost a guest here. That was quite the thing that my dad sort of instilled in us. So even if we were doing great work, we would never brag about that. And that's probably why you never hear of me. And I know you made me laugh yesterday. Marcy, I've known you 20 years. I've been online. There's nothing about you. Yeah, because I I don't do talking about me. I let my work do the talking. You know, that's just what I'm really comfortable with. This brings me out in hives. I know that. We've been waiting for a long time to get you on it. So (laughs) I appreciate it. So... How long had you... Well, tell me first of all about the institution of Key 103. What did you learn there? Because it's a household name, isn't it? If you're a Manc, so what was it like working there? Oh, God. You know, couldn't ask for a better job in your 20s. It was so vibrant there. It was absolutely embedded into every part of the fabric of this city, from the football to the retail to the the hospitality and just being a part of it. And it really meant something to listeners as well. You know, I doubt very much whether commercial radio means anything. My kids certainly don't listen to it. And I'll be honest, neither do I anymore. So, but back then it was an institution, as you say. And so I felt very honoured to be part of that. But equally, it was a huge group. And therefore the training was phenomenal from sales training to all the other stuff that I learned that actually equipped me, I think, to then go off and start my own business, training that I couldn't even afford to think about doing now. So I guess that investment that they made in me just helped build my confidence and my business skills, really, to then get to a point where heading towards 30 and thought, this is great. But I remember looking at the woman who was about late 40s, selling radio advertising and I had to admit I looked at her and thought Christ I don't want that to be me I want something different but I felt I had enough to have a go and that's genuinely how I still feel about it I'm having a go (laughs) 20 years on I'm still having a go I agree that's what I think every day just have a go today so obviously yeah amazing training there and you were responsible for sponsorship weren't you and sales 
So what was the trigger then for you to decide to set your own business up and how did you decide that you launched out their events? So what was it about the events that interested you? Yeah, it was absolutely my training in radio. So as well as sponsorship, which were the things you'll think about, like sponsoring the sport with Carlsberg, that kind of brand affiliation stuff, which was very commercial. It was also the promotion side. So that involved a lot of off-air events, launching shops, roadshows, all that kind of thing. So that was really my foray into eventing. So for me, the business was about bringing those skills together. And I think it was at that time, nobody putting on events in this city who knew how to raise the revenue stream to justify it. You know, there was a lot of party organisers and there was a lot of people who would say, do you want that event? Yeah, that'll be 30 grand. Thank you very much. But no one, we were the only people who were going, do you know what? There's something in this and I think we could get some sponsorship revenue and that sponsorship revenue helps justify and help fund the event happening and in which case they didn't really question our fees because we kind of self-funded what we did so it was quite a unique proposition back then obviously there's a ton of people who do that now and that really gave us a real foot in the market and to do that you've got to have really good connections haven't you in relationships and it's about dot joining isn't it to some degree because you can call on those networks for those sponsorship opportunities and to connect brands and stuff What for you is important about those relationships? You know, how important is it for you to maintain them for a sustainable career, I suppose? Yeah, well, I'm sure like you, I class most of my customers as friends now. They're 20 years old with me. And for me, you can't just take the money and run. And so if you have done the hard yards of asking a client to part with their hard-earned marketing budget to come and sponsor an event, my God, we're going to make sure you get return on investment on that. We approach everything in that same way, respectful, and we know how hard it is for you to give us your marketing budget. I promise we will look after this really safely and make sure you get a return. And I think as long as you treat everybody like that then you can't you know you don't fail because even if something goes wrong everybody knows that you've done your damnedest to try and make this the best thing possible it's not rocket science you know what we do there is always a buyer and a seller there is always those two communities who want a reason to come together in a room we just create the rationale and the reason to bring them together and I feel absolutely privileged that we bring them together to have a great time. So people walk away with big smiles on their faces and that's not many people can say their job leads to that. So I think what we do is is absolutely wonderful. And it's so true about the events because I think I looked at it and I thought you created an industry for other industries to celebrate their successes. And Manchester is built on the business black tie event on a Thursday night now, Boom. isn't it? I mean, Thank Christ. Can <laughs> no, I say that? Yeah, you can. <laughs> but every Thursday night, Wednesday, Thursday night in Manchester, on an, in normal times, you would see throngs of black ties, wouldn't you, walking all around yep. the city centre. And, and ball gowns. <laughs> exactly. And all those funny hairdos. Um <laughs> So you were first out of the blocks with that. I think you created that for us. Yeah, you know, and it became, it was easy in the early days because not many people were doing it. And of course, it's got progressively harder. And I, and you know, I hated that. You'll remember about 10 years ago, it did become awards fatigue. So lots of people just saw it as an opportunity to make some cash. 
And that kind of broke my heart a bit because then the quality came out and then everyone got tarnished with the same, oh, is this just another scam to make some cash kind of thing. And what's been really interesting 20 years on, I'm proud to say most, if not all of the awards that I helped create, regardless of whether I'm involved with them or not now, are still there. They're still blooming and they are the industry ones. And I was also really keen to not drag everyone's arse to London. You know, I was sick of why do national events have to have to happen there? From an event organising perspective, you pay four times the privilege to be in that same room. And I've loved how many national things now are up here. And it's like, of course they are. And why shouldn't they be? And yeah. lots of London people now come to events in Manchester. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And let's hope it's... I mean, even Andy Burnham said to me recently, I actually can't wait for another black tie do. Don't believe you. <laughs> He never wore black tie when it was black well, tie. No, but I well, he, no, he wants to go. He wants to go for dinner. The only thing that I don't miss about the dinner season, we all get ill at Roland Dransfield because it's awards and we're kind of running events or so at them from October through to kind of early December. I get ill every it's... time, but I think it's the lamb shank every Thursday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's on you. yeah, it's thing. like I have turned vegetarian. Yeah, on the back of the lamb you shank, you do learn that <laughs> often the meat option isn't the one to go for, even if you're a huge meat eater, which I am. But yeah. <laughs> Listen, we are very, I don't want to diss our hoteliers and our venue owners in this city. They come up with great stuff. But I think it's fair to say the awards ceremonies aren't really about your three course. It's the before and after, I think. It definitely is. Obviously, you've organised some of the city's biggest charity events and balls, as well as aside from the business events. There must have been some crackers. So which of those really stand out for you? I think from the charity side, again, we've been honoured. There are a couple that really spring to mind. Firstly, we worked with Onside, the Youth Zones, and the lovely Bill Holroyd and uh, John Robinson, Nick Hopkinson, those guys decided to put on a ball and we were fortunate enough to organise it out in Cheshire, Marquee, the whole shebang. And that event raised £1 million. And I still don't think anyone else has done that in this region, certainly not in the distant past. So proud to just be part of that and the energy in that room. And obviously a million quid to spread out for that. You'll have seen the Manchester Youth Zone. The work that does in terms of taking kids literally off the streets and giving them a purpose, it's invaluable. And that was a tremendous, you know, so proud for everyone. We were just round the edges making it happen, we certainly. But everyone just dug deep. And so that was fabulously memorable. And obviously, I guess, all the, the years of working with Michael Josephson, Firstly, on the NSPCC Childline Ball, and now he has his own foundation. So again, gosh, over the years, raised hundreds and hundreds of thousands for, again, unbelievably worthy causes. Stuff that I sit and it makes me really sad that, as a society, government isn't funding this or we aren't funding it through our taxes because we should be, but what for whatever reason it doesn't happen. And without these events, you know, these... These people who just, they are the heroes, you know, the work they do, but they need cash. And so just delightful to be able to be part of something so valuable. So, yeah, they're on the charity side. I think uh, personally, I can't not mention because I dine out on it and will for the rest of my life. We did a, a product launch with David Beckham. Back in the day, so he was at Man U, therefore the national launch needed to be here for his 
diary and he'd, I'm not sure how much he had designed, but he had a children's clothing range at M&S called DB07. And so they were looking for an agency in Manchester to run it. And Lisa, you'd have, well, you've been here, I know. There were three of us in the business at the time. We were pitching to all these enormous London agencies and somehow blagged it. And they came up here. It was a national press launch and we created this urban playground outside the football museum, outside Urbis, all the press from everywhere. And I think so many wonderful things about that. One, how on earth have we managed to do this? Two, we actually pulled it off a beauty. (laughs) Three, him wasn't a big fan until that. Obviously, I'm a Liverpool fan. I, you know, don't like anything about Manu. He was just lovely, lovely person. You know, the way he was, all the, they had the models there, obviously the kids who were getting involved with the wear. They'd been on the photo shoots for the catalogue and the posters in store and stuff. So he kind of knew them. He remembered everything about them. He gifted them all with a bike at the end of it, you know, just stuff that He didn't have to do any of that. And I thought, wow, now I get it. You have this aura around you and and this is the reason you are the success that you are. So obviously that was great. That's a lovely story. And I think also just going back to the charity, charities have suffered so much this year for lack of events, haven't they? You know, like say Michael Joseson's £350,000, half a million quid. On one night. I mean, these, these charities, this is their biggest ability to pump some serious cash into their charities are these big events and and you know obviously it works hand in hand we are an incredibly giving yes bunch in manchester definitely. too you know you can't do it's not my organization if no one tips up and puts their hand in their pocket it's all for nothing anyway so we have both sides so whilst we have an awful lot of fabulously good people who put a lot of work into the charities and children and people who need things we also have an incredibly generous bunch of people who live here and give back which that's why it works we absolutely do I and mean, it's always overwhelming I think but yeah you can't believe how generous people are and they do dig deep don't they so let's hope that's one of the reasons I really want to see events coming back yes. Marcy so Manchester's been built on events um, sporting music business how important do you think events are to the personality of the city? Oh, in the fibre. I mean, Matt, we just put on a good do. I know one of the things you were going to ask me was like, you know, best event that you've been to. Uh, I I couldn't name one because so often it starts with a quiet drink after work yeah. and it ends up you're on the table somewhere. <laughs> and that, you know, so it's just we do things at 100%. And, you know, we the city is small enough that you can bring together the retail, the hospitality, the football, the business community in a way that it's so small, it's not a big deal. And I think that's why it's actually quite easy to put on big events in Manchester because the community is just there and they don't take themselves too seriously. No. You know, they oh, it, will. it makes me laugh on a Thursday night if you've had a few industry events and that they all converge at Albert Schloss. Absolutely. Or, all or back in the day, of, the Circle Club. You know, you just oh, end God, up yeah. somewhere. The Petri dish of <laughs> Manchester. Beautiful. <laughs> so, OK, well, I know that you like a challenge as well. So let's go on to your decision in 2013 to buy a publishing company. <laughs> yeah, that was bright. Everyone said, Mars, stick to your knitting. Yeah. But actually, it was a re- it was a no brainer decision. So, Mix Interiors, a publication that has been running since before two thousand late nineties, set up by a PR guy, lovely Henry Pugh, and Mick 
Jordan, who is still my editor today. So those guys had worked around the commercial interior, interior design world of Clark and Well London. And I thought, you know what, there's a couple of publishers in this, but we could do something different. And they launched Mix Interiors. I met Henry uh, many years afterwards. He was in Manchester because he had an, a large customer base up here. Obviously, we have a lot of manufacturers here, the old textiles guys who are now fabrics or carpets, etc. And he did one event and it was in London. So he came to see me about putting something on in Manchester. We started talking about a conference. He then mentioned his award ceremony in London. I said, let's do one of them up here. He said, no, you can't rob Peter to pay Paul. I said, trust me, you underestimate the market and the size of the market and how actually restrictive it is when it, everything is in London. And I said, promise, I promise, Henry, we'll do it once. If you lose money or if it doesn't work, I will walk away. And year one, we pulled an awards together, 700 people. And so on the back of that, he gave me the contract to run the London event. So Henry and Mick very soon became my favourite customer. And Henry unfortunately passed away of cancer and, and the whole period in which it happens was quite sudden. So he told me in the September and he passed away in the February and his wife had never been in the business and didn't really want to be in the business. So I did that thing that we would do, which is just say, guys, I'm here. Listen, I don't I, I used to sell radio. I imagine a magazine isn't that dissimilar. Whatever you need, we're here to help. And she said, listen, Henry wouldn't have wanted this to go to one of the big boys. Are you interested in the events? So initially it was, well, would you like the Mixology Awards? And I said, oh, the problem is there is no value in those if I don't own the magazine because you sell the magazine to someone else, all of a sudden that, that value disappears. So she said, well, would you be interested in the business? And I had a long think. Obviously, my husband, who's just been ace my whole career, just went, go for it you know the value of that and you know what you can turn it into. So I became a publisher. And I. it's interesting, around Manchester, you'll know this, I'd spent my whole time looking at insider, business debt, all these business publishers who I knew made most of their revenue on events. I thought, well, why can't I turn this round? And why can't an events person add on the publishing bit, which is basically what we've done? So now, of course, our award ceremonies are... We're, we're at a 2,000-seater venue in London this year. Fingers mad. crossed. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and we've got the Northern event up to 1,200 people. So, uh, and we do lots of other, you know, uh, exhibitions, seminars, uh, roundtable events. But we still have that magazine, which is where you hook everything around. So bonkers at the time, but absolutely love it and love the industry. I love the fact that you have prints. I mean, and the magazine is beautiful, isn't it? So when it arrives, I do. It's always on my coffee table. So, yeah, it's a really beautiful publication. And what did you think you learned about yourself at that time? Because you said you're not a risk taker, but clearly that was a big risk. It, it was. And yes, I learned that maybe I am riskier than sometimes I think. But it was a very calculated risk. You know, I'd said to Mick, if you're not going to stay on as editor, I'm not interested because I'm not going to learn how to write articles overnight. So... I knew he was very comfortable with me being the new gaffer, as it were. And I knew the industry and I saw what was around me. And I thought, you know what, it's not all that great in part. So it was a risk. And of course, you go back to the whole business. And I'd what been in business 13 years by then. So 
you know, I had cash reserves. I'd always been very, very frugal. I run it like you'd almost run your, your family budget. Uh, it's the only way I know how. So it didn't feel that risky. But yes, maybe from the outside, it did seem a bit of a risky thing to do. You've also been named as one of Manchester's most inspirational women by the Manchester Evening News. And I know that you're passionate about gender equality in the workplace. So, again, we've run our businesses for roughly the same time. How different was it back in the day oh, as a woman God. in the workplace? Yeah. You know, the day I found out I was pregnant and I'd been married five years and I was 28, I burst out crying and said to my husband, I don't think anyone's going to give me a piece of business again. I cannot believe I actually, looking back, it was tough. You were not a serious business person if you didn't have at least three 8.30 breakfast meetings with someone. It was full on and I think it, we probably were running our businesses at the peak of that. We had to prove ourselves so much more. Has it changed 100% yes is it still there a bit? Yeah. Now, does it touch my sides? No. Now I, I'm confident enough to say, actually, you yeah, know, I'm still dropping my kids off at school, so I'll see you at half nine. You know, the world has changed. No one does breakfast meetings anymore. All of a sudden, we've realised it's no badge of honour. So, yes, of course, those things have been challenges. I, weirdly, it's not purposefully, but I have tended to employ lots of women in my business. Uh, we're project managers, the, you know, we women multitask, they're just good. And so I've always had senior women around me and, and, and junior women. And so from that side of things, I guess when you're in your own bubble, you don't even realise what you're doing. It's just what you do to, to run a business. So it's been just wonderful for me to see, to bring young kids into the business who then have gone on to either start their own businesses or have fantastic careers elsewhere. And you've had a small part to play in that. That's a lovely thing. I had um, an interview with Lou Cordwell from The Let and Magnetic North for International Women's Day. And again, similar, we got into our working careers at roughly the same time. And some of the stories that we had forgotten about that we actually came to light as part of that conversation was absolutely shocking. I mean, people would not even, have, not for discussion even on this on podcast, but I mean, shocking. And I think we avoided quite a bit of that by having our own businesses, didn't we? Because you can create your own culture yes. and you can make sure that when that door closes, you run that business with the values that you believe in. Yeah, they um, have nothing yeah. to do with whether you're male or female. And I'll be in Clerkenwell, which is where we do a lot of our business because a lot of architects and designers are down there. And we'll be in the pub and I have a male editor and I had a male sales director. And, you know, first question would be, oh, hi, Marcy, do you work for Mick? And it's just this assumption. Yeah. And it's really funny because I don't really say anything and the lads go, no, she's the gaffer. And then there's this apology. Oh, it's so cringy. And it's just like, shall we leave it? Let's just leave it. But yeah, it's like, wow, that's still happening now. One of the things I found actually earlier on in my career as well was particularly from professional advisors, male professional advisors towards me. And I'd only realised that recently. It was like they were my boss and I was paying their fees and I think there was a real issue there about a young woman who, yeah. you know, was doing well at the time. And, um, yeah, and looking back, I think there was a real even bullying from professional uh, you know, people. And that's it's possibly why I've kept my head so firmly under the parapet, 
maybe Lisa, I don't know. I've not really thought about it, but yeah, they're just keep your head down and just stay under fly under that radar because yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. And what's about the pandemic? I mean, we wow. got it. Well, we said when we were growing up that we wanted to have it all, then we got it all, and then we're not, not sure I want it all, but in the pandemic, women got it all back, didn't they? Everything, homeschooling, running the house, running a business. Yeah. How did wow. you deal with that? I mean, the start was really, really tough. I Not so much, you know, my kids are just 18 and 14, so thank Christ there was no homeschooling going on. But from a business, for someone who fundamentally does most of their revenues from large-scale events... I knew we would be the first off and I knew we would be the last to come. And I think for me, it was that anxiety every day of Jesus, what do I do? And a good month into it, many walks through Didsbury, just, oh God, right for wrong. And I think it was, you then go back to business 101, a decision, even if it's a bad one, is better than no decision. And that's when I decided quite early to make redundancies, knowing that actually I don't know when those jobs would have been available to people in my firm. And it was horrific. You know, no one wants to do that. No one wants to be part of doing that. But it it saved the five people that are still in the business, you know. So we are a pretty honest, open bunch of people, obviously led by me. So, yes, my heart is on my sleeve. And I take that passion to every gig I do and I take that passion with every time it doesn't work out with a member of staff. You know, it's just, you have to be real. It was that balance between reassuring those that stayed, I, this is why I've had to do this and it's to secure all of this. Very So very quickly putting them at ease. And that's why for me, we had to do it sooner rather than later. Could have furloughed people for, God, over 12 months now. but And I just felt kind of wrong taking that taxpayer money anyway on knowing that the business would be so much smaller at are coming out of it. So you do things as compassionately as you can. And you also understand that individuals are going through their own shit. People with in small apartments looking at the same form walls, you know, so that's why we were we insisted on having a brew every morning on teams. It's half an hour. We don't talk about work. We and it's just but you can get a sense then whether someone needs a little chat afterwards or whatever. And that's how we're managing, I'm not sure it's brilliant, but it's kind of all right for now. Mm. And I think once the decisions, once you make a decision, and I think this has been the hardest thing about the pandemic, it's the control has been taken away yeah. from us entirely. And as business owners, as long as you can kind of see even this far, in a, you're, you're good. You just you plan and you plot along and off you go. Not knowing the when has just been really, really tough. And I guess it's, um, for a control freak like me, it, it's made me learn, listen, there's just some shit that literally is out of your control. Yeah. So you can't sweat it too much. So listen, delighted to still be here. Delighted I still employ some people. Delighted that the market still wants us. And and off we go again. But what the future holds, I, I don't know. I'm just keeping things very, very um, safe. And risk averse. <laughs> exactly. And do you think do you think you're going to look at your business and your life now in a different way? Has the last year kind of given you any options? Because I know you work your backside off. You never stop working. Are there any changes you're going to make now going forward for yourself or the team maybe? 
Do you know, it's it's interesting, isn't it? And as a business, we talk about all the time this um, coming back to the office and working from home versus being in the office environment. And, you know, I am, I am in that luxurious position that, yes, I have a space at home, which is a proper office. And if I never did the commute again, would I be bothered? Blah, blah, blah. But actually, I look at my young team and yeah. they need this. So even though if you'd said to me, Mars, do you love coming back into the office and commuting? Of course I don't. But actually, the requirement to do it is even greater now. And so I guess from a personal perspective, it has taught me I can do my job anywhere. But it's also very much taught me that I can't run a business with everyone sat at home. And nor do I want to. So I'm obviously you can't write about commercial interior design and not be an advocate for coming back to the office. That's just kind of in our DNA. But I, I actually believe it's it's hugely important. And I worry about some of the big industry who've just made that call and said, right, working from home forever. I don't know how culturally you create a culture of home workers. And I I do. I'm concerned about that generation who just do not have enough work experience or the confidence to know how to navigate. They'll have never pitched with their bosses. They'll have never heard their boss on the phone or their leaders or whatever. And that kind of concerns me. But uh, so, yes, there is a part of me that wants to retire tomorrow. And (laughs) I have to admit, I'm not sure it would be Manchester. It might be somewhere nearer the sun in my hometown. But if I'm going to work, let's make this good work. And that's not five people behind a Zoom screen. But of course, the decision makers, probably all in their 50s, with their massive houses out in Cheshire going, sod it, this works for me. And that's the rob. And we have to really think about whilst that's great for you personally, as the business owner, if you want a legacy, if you want your business to have the culture you created, you know what, you're going to have to turn up. And so are they, I think. Mm. And I think showing up and being there is a really important value. And obviously, I'm a founder of United City. And one of the first campaigns we wanted to go out with in June last year, when everyone was coming in for a cocktail, was to say work from work. Today I'm working from work because it's not necessarily the young people who don't want to come back. It's, as you say, it's working from a home office in Oldley Edge and we actually did have a, an advan with a loud hailer. We were going to call them out, but then obviously messaging changed and we, yeah, we couldn't course. do it. But it is that principle. It, it is, is and, it's, and yeah. it's that we can't pick and choose. So you, your cocktail won't be here yeah, if you exactly. just want to tip up on a Friday exactly. night. Neat segue into your values as a business and what you think of our values. Uh, It's a bit bit middle there. I love your values (laughs) and I couldn't, they're universal. Everyone should live by your values. Obviously, no dickheads. I mean, my God, you'd... But you think we'd learn, Lisa, and we're, that's that's one you're still <laughs> learning every day. Um, or as I like to always say in in recruitment, you're better off with a hole than an asshole in your business. <laughs> yeah. So that one, but just the whole values around care. Just do if you're gonna do it, do it properly, do it passionately, care about it. Because Jesus, you're a long time working. I don't know how anyone can do a job for 40 years that they despise or just mediocre-like. You know, if you don't enjoy what you do, go and find it. Definitely. That's so true. 
I know that you're very committed to legacy and you've done so much legacy work with all the stuff that you've done. You give a lot of your time away for free and your business time away for free. And I can't even imagine how many millions of pounds you've helped to raise over your career. And I know you keep saying you want to retire and go to Miami or wherever, yeah. Naples, yeah. but you're not yeah. doing that. You will be here in 10 years time, I can see it. <laughs> what else is there left for you to do in terms of legacy, do you think? It's lovely to see, as I say, the events, whether I'm part of them or not, prosper and grow and have a place in the fabric of the business or the social fibre of this city. I think that's that's a, a lovely legacy. And I guess the team, the business where I'm at and what I'm striving for if, is that business to roll on, whether I'm there five days, whether I'm there two days, whatever, because it's a great product and we've got some amazing relationships. So my next big job is bringing those people on to take that on whether I'm there or not, which I'm sure is probably what you're... Totally, exactly. I had the same conversation yesterday. I was like, I I don't want to have to be here in 10 years. I will be. But I've, I think we've learned so much working together as a smaller team over the past 12 months. And I've been blown away by the loyalty and the absolute kind of... The commitment to yeah, our values, just it's just up. been incredible. Yeah. And yeah, without a doubt. And so we've just got a fantastic team and we're ready to go again too. I just, I'm really excited about it. So it will be 10 years. We should oh, go. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> we'll go and have joint retirement dues in 10 years. So quick fire, Marcy. Yes. I know you don't want me to ask you I these. don't do quick fire. There'll be a thousand <laughs> answers, but go on. What's the best event you've ever been to in Manchester? You can have one of yours and one that's not yours. Oh, well, I've done me David Beckham. Yeah. I've done all mine. Um, I, oh, see, this is too difficult. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going right back into the annals of time. Um, I remember being very privileged to be at the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games. Yes. Do you remember that? Oh, my God, it was incredible. And, yeah. you know, it was that. Yeah. I love Manchester because yeah. we shouldn't really be hosting this. And yet we did. And so that was really special. And obviously for me to see events on that scale is always really wonderful. And then and then the only other thing was, you know, all the concerts. You know, I love live music. It's other than holidays, it's a thing I do with my kids. And I think we're so privileged to have venues like the arena that bring all these global people up to our doorsteps. So, you know, God, Bruno Mars, Alicia Keys, Drake, you name it. And then Albert Hall. So I'm oh, now, yeah. you Brilliant. know, when that was open, going there regularly with my daughter. And then, and then even the opera at the Lowry with my mother. So I kind of think, God, Manchester, we're so lucky that we are within 10 minutes of doing anything we want. And... That's the stuff I've missed the most and I can't wait to get back to. You, me both, absolutely can't wait. Best Italian restaurant? Oh, this was a tricky. (laughs) Obviously, they have to be Neapolitan because there is no other Italian food. So back in the day, it would have been Stock, Manchester, institution that was. My 40th Um, there, do you remember? Yes, yeah. I I had my husband's 40th there. Everyone had their 40th there. That was back then. Uh, Today, I wouldn't have got through lockdown without Rudy's Pizza. God love them. Mm. Uh, Salvi's Mozzarella Bar. But of course, we live in Didsbury, so good old Picks. Picks yes. in Didsbury, they've done many, we've had many a celebration in there. So, yes, yeah, sorry. I love Piccolino's in Didsbury. Yeah. Um, what do you order at the chippy? <laughs> Signature dish. There's only one cod and chips, plenty of salt and vinegar. Although I do, and then I'm overfaced. So then I have to share that. And, and then if I'm going in not starving, it's chips and gravy. Yeah, I know. 
as it comes. I've just not been to the chippy for a year. Oh, I don't think I've eaten a potato for about five no, years. I can tell. Oh, you look amazing up. on it. Listen, I'm 65, 70% carbs being Neapolitan. So, you know, potato and pasta will always feature in my life. Which Manchester band or artist is guaranteed to get people up on the feet at oh, an event? So I, I wrote again a couple. So you kind of Joy Division, Happy Mondays, you can't not, a good fool's gold, whatever. But for our events, which are quite Cheshire posh, yeah. you know, obviously we've had Heather Small. She'll yes, bet she's our, mm. she'll do a great anthem that'll fill a floor. But I can't not mention Graham Park, who is kind of my... Fantastic go-to guy who can, you know, cater for any event of any generations and uh, and bang out some happy house. So well, you can see all those dads dancing in Cheshire. Absolutely, <laughs> thinking they was back at the hacienda back in the day. <laughs> Just need to make the point that nobody. You are a control freak because nobody gets to see these questions before. So you've answered them in advance. Yes. <laughs> um, and also, okay, last I thought it'd be interesting. How close do you think the personalities of Mancunians and Neapolitans are? I think it's our, we do not take ourselves seriously. So we are Neapolitans like Manx. We can take the mick. We, uh, and uh, so it's, it's that side of our character. And then absolutely the grafting side. You know, we know nothing is going to get handed to us on a plate. We would never expect that. And we know if we if we're crap, we will get called out and found out. So, uh, you know, we're just really hardworking folk who like a laugh and are the first to laugh at ourselves. Brilliant. Okay, and Marcy, so lastly, 20 years in business is no mean feat. And given all the challenges that you've had come along the way, what's the one thing you'd say is most important to having a career with purpose? Passion. Hmm. That's it. Yeah. Love it or get out and do something else. Love it. And you still have that passion, the same passion that you had when you came into Roland Dransfield a long Swearing time ago. Yeah, I hope we've not got the same suits, though. Possibly. Because, <laughs> you know, there's a whole part of my wardrobe that hasn't been out for years. <laughs> so you're not slowing down and you're still creating and doing new things. And I love the vigour that you're kind of approaching the next year or so and seeing where your business is going to go. There's loads to take away from this conversation. And you're a true adopted mank. I think Thank nobody you. would argue with that. Honoured. And you do get up every day and you put the graft in and you make the best of whatever you've got. So thanks so much for joining me. It's been brilliant. Oh, and I've loved it. I was not going to think I would love it and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks, Lise. Thanks for making it so easy. You're welcome. Thanks, Marcy. Marcy helped to build this city by flooding Manchester with black ties on a Thursday night, by bringing lasagna on a train to Manchester and by knowing that she's better off with a hole in her business than an arsehole. We Build This City is out every Thursday when you'll hear from another incredible Greater Mancunian. If you want to find more out about Roland Dransel PR and you'd like some help in creating your legacy, please head to rdpr.co.uk for more information or give us a call on the same number we've had for 24 years 0161 236 1122. Thank you and see you next time. Thank you.